If you guys have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to be in verse 17 through 20. But one of the things that we do here at Grace and Mercy is we pray a corporate prayer together about this text so that we can kind of get our minds focused on, on just and, and get our minds focused and then ask Jesus as a people to speak into our lives. And so it's in the song sheet. And if you guys have that, you can pray this with us, but please pray it out loud. Our Father, we thank you for this wise picture of Christ's life. Please reveal it to us deeply through your Holy Spirit. Teach us to listen well, learn well, and to live out that knowledge. Renew our sight, refresh our hearts, and grant our desire to seek and follow you. Jesus, help us live our lives for you. Amen. And this is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And this is Jesus speaking from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So now we know in this sermon we're picking up right after Jesus calls us salt and light. And then he says that we are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus continues in his sermon to tell us what is required to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. What is this kingdom of heaven? How do we live in it? It is getting more and more elevated as his sermon continues, right? He talks about the blessings. And then he says, by the way, you are the salt and light. And now he gets into some meaty stuff where Jesus taught us that we are to be poor and needy. Amen? It's not always fun to be poor and needy. It's uh, not always a, a feels like a, an amazing place, but we are also to be meek and merciful, right? We are to have a pure heart and to be peacemakers. Yes, we'll have rewards, but we will also be persecuted, right? The beatitude that's mentioned twice. And in this persecution, we are called blessed. Now, all of a sudden, we need to keep all the rules and the laws of the Old Testament. So let's, let's have at it. We're going to start in Genesis this morning and um, just work our way through it. But Jesus is giving us a extremely lofty and really an unobtainable picture of the type of person who gets to enter into his kingdom. The type of person who gets to enter into heaven is ones who right, whose, whose right deeds exceed that of the most zealous person in our midst. Not even in our midst. Let's just say in the midst of everyone you know, the most zealous person. But that in his ANA would have been the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees have not played a big role yet in Matthew, and yet they will. They will as we continue the story. But Jesus starts to tell us about them with this part of a sermon that, honestly, they'd probably likely agree with. They would be like, yeah, okay, Jesus is talking about purity. We need to not get rid of the law. We need to follow everything. And, and Jesus is telling these folks that you need to be pure in accordance to the law. Which part of the law? All of it. 
And not, not a dot or an iota will pass until this is accomplished. And purity in the law was the scribes and the Pharisees' specialty. This is kind of what they majored in, if you will. Purity in its true, uh, in its true form knows when and where and how to put things in their proper place. And when we're talking about the things of God, the, the Pharisees would have done this uh, to the best of their ability. They would have been read, not just read, but studied and memorized. Um, and they are trying to live all the laws that God has. In fact, they, they try so much that they put laws around the laws just so that they won't break them. And I would say this, this isn't a bad thing. We don't want to fall into sin just because. It's, a, it's actually, as we strive to walk even with Jesus in his grace, trying to keep his laws and his ways is a noble endeavor. Amen? Like, we can strive for that. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we will see that oftentimes the scribes and Pharisees are the bad guys, right? If you read through it, actually, I was thinking about this for those who have read Harry Potter, right? Think of Umbridge, Professor Umbridge. That's a Pharisee. That's right. Just all the rules and all the rules on top of rules, and you continue to build them up. Always, And these folks were always coming after Jesus and trying to trap him. We will see that. We will see that many of them don't practice the law as Jesus teaches it. They are enamored by doing the right thing, but their attitude doesn't match. Their hearts don't match. And Jesus is trying to get to our hearts. But let us um, put aside all the negative about the Pharisees for a moment because there's also a lot of positives uh, about them and a good number of them will actually come to serve and follow Jesus with their life. We are to be salt and light, to live differently in a dark and flavorless world. And this, on one hand, is what the Pharisees wanted to be. They wanted to be salt and light. They were trying to live differently. And they were trying to live a holy and moral life according to the laws of God that God had given. This is what we want too, amen? I would love to live a a holy and moral life. We want to live our lives for Jesus. And we honestly, we want to keep his ways. It is actually uh, very simple though, to slide into becoming a Pharisee instead of a follower of Jesus. Following the Pharisees and the rules oftentimes is easier because you can measure it. You know when you're wrong, when you're right. And instead, sometimes following Jesus, uh, there are many times following Jesus where it's a mystery. Okay, Jesus, what would you have for me next? And what we are seeing in this text is that we cannot do or perform or serve everything right into the way of heaven. We cannot keep the law well enough. We cannot. We cannot remember all the laws, let alone all the prophecies, and let alone know when and how uh, they are going to come about. Or um, when we are honest, we don't always know how to rightly apply Scripture into any given situation. We try, and we do get it right from time to time. And it's a gift from God, that His grace to us in those moments. But there are times when we will say to somebody, quoting Scripture, thinking that we're doing the right thing, and it is not the right thing. It's not the loving thing. It's not the kind thing. And, and yet, even if the Scripture is true, maybe the moment's not correct. Maybe our hearts, maybe we just want to be their Savior in quoting Scripture to them. And we need to be careful that we don't slip into that. But we all know or have met folks who believe they have all the answers. Amen? We have met these people, and honestly, enough of them, they live pure enough. They 
live moral lives, and they uh, seem to know what all the prophecies mean and how Scripture and all its laws may work in any given situation. And I, for one, uh, I am not bold enough to make that claim for myself. I do not always know how it works, and yet when we meet folks uh, that people pretend, I, I think this is the way I look at it, people pretend that they know how this works all the time. Sometimes they do know how it works, but sometimes they pretend. And uh, some people actually follow the way of the scribes and Pharisees instead of the way of Jesus. Instead of just being there, they have to give the right answers all the time, or at least they know the right answers. The truth is the scribes and the Pharisees want the same thing as Jesus does. They want, both want the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. They want this thing. They want the king that God has for his people rather than the ruler in Rome. They, they want the laws and the prophecies of God to be rightly kept and applied. And on one level, this is a beautiful thing. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. And again, there are some Pharisees that eventually followed Jesus because they understood his message. But there are also many who didn't and never, never did, according to Scripture. And even though uh, they, had, they had a similar goal, they would have a competing vision for how they would usher in the kingdom of heaven and, and also what it would look like. This, the Pharisees were full of zeal and they were very strict. They were very strict. They probably weren't the funnest bunch to be around is what I'd imagine. They were um, in, in the best and worst ways religious in every sense. They believed that morality and purity would bring the kingdom of heaven down onto earth. Uh, and purity was their way. This is if we can be pure enough, not only personally pure, you had to be pure, but socially pure as well, then this would bring down the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. And they taught people um, to be pure. This is what they taught. This is how you keep this rule. This is how you do this. Then if they figured if they would get enough people to honor God, then God would come down and God would send his Messiah and overthrow Rome and establish Israel as a shining light for the nations, and we would all go to them for all the answers. For them, purity, it's not just personal, it's also social and cultural. It was not enough that they were doing the right thing. They needed everybody else to be doing the right thing all the time. That was what they believed needed to take place. Now remember, at the time of Jesus... Israel, God's chosen nation, was under Roman occupation. This would have been, uh, this would not have been okay for the Pharisees. It was, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as pure as they would like to be because there were outsiders who had a say in how they went about their lives. And in this, the scribes and Pharisees were actually political. They were standing against Rome. Even at times, though, they would stand with Rome to try and stand uh, to gain their own power and stuff like this. But they, they wanted and they believed that the Messiah would set up the nation of Israel as kind of a world of uh, superpowers of sorts, right? To be that light and we would all bow down and worship God in the temple. If the people would just be pure enough, right? If the people would just be pure enough, then God will be able to have his way and establish his people and his kingdom now and forevermore. As the scribes and Pharisees were full of zeal and very strict, they were also always right. 
They knew the right way. They, they were always there. They were kind of like the thought and the religious police of the day, right? The moralist, and they, they knew how everything would go. People would look at them on how to think and act, and they would be so glad to instruct the ways that people must go. And in the, and in the culture, there were ones that knew what was most pure. What was the way to keep it most pure and most godly? This was always, this always, uh, I would say, leads to self-righteousness and pride. There were those that thought higher of themselves and their own laws and their own ways and the way that they interpreted all the scripture. Because when Jesus actually came into the world, when God himself came into the world, they persecuted him and eventually put him on the cross. They challenged him at every turn, even though he was talking about the things of God. See, these two things, this pride and self-righteousness, are two things that Jesus has already taught in the Beatitudes that we, as his followers, are to avoid. We, instead of uh, being know-it-alls, we are supposed to be needy and poor and meek and hungry and thirsty for righteousness, never satisfied enough. Instead of knowing everything, Jesus has started us off with giving us humility as the way to live. Humility, this humility is what it takes to be salt and light. It is not our morality or our purity that's enough to make us blessed. But our need is for the things of God. And as we ache for the things of God, it also teaches us how to treat others. See, because unlike the Pharisees, if we follow Jesus, we don't lord over people. We allow Jesus to be their Lord. As we are salt and light, we are salt and light. We live differently, but we're not the thought police. We're not the, we're not the moral police. We, don't, we, we can and should desire that all people follow the ways of Jesus, but we will see, uh, and we want it personally, amen, you and me to follow Jesus. Socially, I would love it if we were actually a, a Christian nation and everyone was on, on task for loving Jesus and we should desire people to want the ways of Jesus and, uh, personally and socially. But in order to live for the kingdom of heaven, you know what's required? It's not purity, personal or social. It's Jesus. Jesus is required. Jesus has the same idea as the Pharisees, but again, a different vision. Jesus' vision for how this all might be accomplished, that we can live into the heaven, uh, live into this, is grace, is his grace, what he purchased for us on the cross. The truth is is that we can never be pure enough. We cannot always be right enough or rightly understand or apply scripture to ourselves or or to the world, and we stand in desperate need of Jesus. Jesus wanted a different kingdom than Rome for us to live in. Amen? He wants his heavenly kingdom. He uh, He wants to be king, not a president or a Caesar or anything like that. He wants us to live as a part of the kingdom where he is king. And he wants this for us then. And he wants this for us now. We don't attach our nation of preference with God's kingdom. It's not how it works. The kingdom of heaven. We know that Jesus is our king and his ways are different than any other kingdom on earth. We want purity personally and culturally, but we go about it as Jesus did in humility and in service of others rather than judgment. You know what we offer? Mercy. That's what the Beatitudes have already taught us. We offer grace. These 
will be rejected, but we still offer them. We still offer them. We cannot keep the law and the prophets naturally. There's no way we can do it. We, we know that we're all going to mess up. We miss the mark, which, by the way, is the very definition of sin. And even one sin makes us impure. Jesus knows this. That's why he is teaching us about himself in this scripture. That's why Jesus, we call Jesus the way, the truth, the life. This is why we are supposed to have our lives hidden in Christ, where we are now dead and Christ lives in our place, because we have one who has fulfilled the law perfectly and understands the prophets perfectly as well. That is Jesus. It is not us. We need Jesus and his righteousness since he did it perfectly. We, we can see that Jesus said clearly that no law or prophecy will go away. The law and the prophets won't go away. They need to be kept. They need to be kept at a higher level than the most zealous and the strictest person you know. None of these are to be relaxed. Jesus, in setting up a different way, is setting up his grace. Grace doesn't get rid of the rules that need to be kept. Grace fulfills them for us because it knows that we can't. The rest of Matthew 5, we're going to look at some of these laws as a way of example where we can say we can say this, they're just going to be more specific. And we can see that the laws are not just to be kept, but they're going to be ratcheted up. We've got to do this in our head and our heart and with our lives. We will see how this new way of Jesus applies to specific laws as ways of example for us that we might live. And we will see, we will probably be encouraged to a certain extent, and we'll probably be convicted to a certain extent. Let's, let's pray that that's true. They will be examples of what Jesus is saying here. It is that Jesus is painting a picture to show us the work that he will do for us and the grace that he's extending to us. And we get to receive it. We get to keep the ways of Jesus. Amen? We get to keep his ways. We will mess it up. Our actions and our hearts will not always line up with the desire that we have in our hearts to follow Jesus or the desires that we profess. And as we follow Jesus, he left us his way and he also left us his Holy Spirit to lead us. But we can never do or perform our way into the presence of Jesus. The, the practical things that we must do are this. Rely on Jesus for it all. He is our only hope and he is our only peace. We strive to keep his ways and this never goes away. We strive to know his ways and what he has for us. We long to see our families, our nations, ourselves follow the ways of Jesus. And yet we can't do this well enough. And again, we need Jesus. There's no way around it. Cannot be, uh, it cannot be done under our own power or with our own wisdom. We are in desperate need because Jesus has obtained for us the unattainable. And it's a beautiful thing. Jesus held this standard perfectly. As we go through the Old Testament, Jesus, um, Jesus did this. this. This is why we rest on his unchanging grace. His love will never fail. This is why we don't trust in our own ways, but we trust in Jesus and his ways, including the cross of Christ. Jesus invited us into the generosity of his provision for us. Amen? Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, 
um, and instructing them in the way of grace as he was helping them through some issues with their communion that Jesus established for us, but Paul was just reminding them. He gives them this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We do this often at Grace and Mercy. We do this weekly. We do this often until Jesus comes back because it's a constant reminder of what Jesus provided for us. His blood, his body, his grace, his covenant of grace with us, and his good news that he came to save us from all our sins, from all our unrighteousness, from all the ways we don't measure up. And Paul goes on to say what is of first importance of the way of grace. He says this, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Our way, truth, and life is found in Jesus alone. Amen? It's found in Jesus alone. I pray, and I've been praying all week, that we will just remember that. That we will set up the fact that we can read this scripture. And in one hand, I had a guy recently tell me, he goes, I don't like it when people tell me that I make mistakes. Well, I take great comfort in the fact that we can't be perfect because that means we can rely on Jesus. And I pray that we might rely on him fully, all of us. And this has been my prayer for us this week, that we might live with the humility to know that Jesus is truly our way, that he is our life and he is our light and that we might rely on him and the grace that he provides. So Jesus, I pray that you will just come. I pray that you will, Lord, it would be great if you returned. That'd be fantastic. Lord, but may our lives be found in you. Lord, we don't measure up to the scribes and Pharisees, and yet we rely on you. Lord, we want to serve you and walk with you. Lord, I pray that we might rely fully on you, fully on your your grace, your broken body, and your shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen.